forgot my Bible. Will you run and grab my Bible out of the other room for me? I assume that's where it's at. Let's get rolling. Just in case you did not know or you not, had not heard the news, today you guys are in the presence of royalty because Johnny won homecoming queen. So now I've noticed a trend here. For the last three years, one of the candidates has won out of this church. So tell your friends that if they want to be queen or queen, they need to start coming, right? That's how that works. But congratulations to her. Were you excited? Were you surprised? That's good. That couldn't happen to a nicer person. We all question her judgment because she's dating Jared, but they you know. Besides that, but you're royalty now. You pick of the litter, you know. You can upgrade at any point in time. Anyway, let's jump right into this. First Tim, or excuse me, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have been hanging out on this verse, looking at the subject of what it means to be equipped, why we need to be equipped, how are we equipped, all of these different aspects. We begin to look at it from the very beginning, and the number one thing is this. It starts with the Word. Nothing ever trumps that. I don't care what your experience is. I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care what your friends think. I don't care what the church you grew up in thought. I don't care about anything like that. All I care about is what the Word says. Because if it's not there, and, or at least the concept is not there, then perhaps it is wrong. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that if it's not in the Bible, that it is anti-God. Okay, there are things that happen that are not against Scripture that not, may not be clearly laid out in Scripture. You guys follow me on that? So I'm not going to tell you that, but this is what I will tell you, is that if we don't start our foundation with something solid, you will get tossed. You will get moved. You will be tossed to and fro. And we have been in this concept here now in the last couple of weeks of the spiritual gifts. And the ideas on these are all over the place. Either they did happen, but they don't happen today. Or they do happen today, but in, in, in a very minor like position. Or you've got the antithesis of all of that. It is just wild all the time, doing backflips off of chairs, hanging from ceiling fans, all that kind of stuff. There has to be a happy medium. We have to look at these from the concept of what is God's intentions with these things. As we did with the armor, when we went through it piece by piece, we're going to look at these different gifts one by one. And begin to examine what they are and what they are not. And I can assure you today that I'm going to show you some scriptures that will get you to think a little bit different. Uh, maybe the way than you're used to. Maybe, we'll, maybe not. We'll see. But the bottom line is this. Is that we should know about these. What these are. What these are not. And how do we operate in them. That's the most important part. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're starting in verse 1. Now, it says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Now, when he says that, Paul is now transitioning out of his previous thought into this new one. It's a, the idea of spiritual gifts. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away by these dumb idols, however you were led. Now, let's stop for a moment. Remember what he's talking about. Paul was a Jewish man. The gospel was for the Jewish people. Because they rejected Messiah... It opened it up to the Gentiles. Gentiles, in order to become right with God, had at one point had to come into covenant with God through the Mosaic Covenant. So they would become a proselyte Jew. They would go in there, they would reject their heritage, they would come one, they would become circumcised, agree to follow all the commandments, all of that kind of stuff. So when there, there was basically two groups, Jews and everybody else. 
So you were these Gentiles, these people not in covenant with God, who were carried about by these dumb idols. Not stupid, but unable to speak. Now that's a clue. Because as he goes forth, you will see these gifts have a lot to do with the words that you say. So carried about by these dumb idols, however you were led, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one say, uh, can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are difference of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, without rehashing too much from last week, we have to look at this and what it is. We have a grouping of nine individual gifts mentioned here. As I showed you last week, there are others, there are more. But the intention is, is that these things work together for the body of Christ. So one is not more important than the other. One is just simply different than the other. One's calling might be different than another's, but it doesn't make one more important than another. It was like the armor. Remember when we went through the armor in Ephesians 6, that each piece individually crafted to that person as it was made for. However, it was meant to be a cohesive unit. They locked into one another. So if you remove one piece of that, it did not function correctly. No different than the gifts. The idea of some people being able to stand in front of a crowd and preach is like scary. They'd rather die. I mean, I've said this before, but the number one fear in America or in the world, really, with people is death. Number two is public speaking. Excuse me, I said it backwards. Death is number two. No, death is number one. I said that right. It's going to be a long day, isn't it? But you think about that. They'd rather die than be up here. And I've met people like that. They freeze. Our buddy Isaac, who is often, uh, he's in South Carolina, he went down to help his brother move. And then he rear-ended somebody. Yeah. You know what he learned? Don't check your GPS while you're driving through an intersection. But, but he can have a conversation one-on-one all day long, but you put him in front of people? Whoo! Now, he's gotten better, but it's, it's nerve-wracking. And is anybody, if you've ever preached a sermon, the first one you ever preach, here's what I can tell you. It will be bad. Just guarantee it. You're just not good at it. Your nerves kicking, all this stuff. I don't care how anointed you are. It's, it's just not going to end well. But the bottom line is you get up and do it. So we have something that is going on here. We have these gifts that God has given for a purpose. Just like the armor. When Paul describes the armor, it was meant to be uh, used as a cohesive unit. He says you have to put it on, which means you should not take it off. It is your responsibility to use it. It had a purpose. It was to withstand the attacks of the enemy both offensive and defensively we go in there same with these gifts each gift is given by the manifestation of the spirit but it is for the profit of all now who is all what are we referencing we're representing or uh, referencing the church as a whole the entirety of the unit so you've got little c church each little church making up a a uh, an overall body of christ so let's look at these gifts. You've got three different groupings. First, you've got what we call the revelatory gifts or the revelation gift. You've got the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. The next part that we have would be um, the power gifts, the gift of faith, the working of miracles. You have uh, uh, gifts of healings, okay? 
And please do not mistake these because there, there's these giftings and then there's the mandate to lay hands on the sick. We'll go through all this, I promise. Then you have what they, the last part called the vocal gifts, the inspiration gifts. You have tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Now remember, we talked about tongues because in the armor it talks about praying in the Spirit. And it's the idea that everybody has this ability to do it, but this is talking about something entirely different. We went through this uh, in very much in depth. We will go through it again when we get to this point. But today we're going to focus our attention on the first three. The first three are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. Most people think they know what these are. Most people assume that you have to have a certain gifting to act in these. But remember, they are distributed as the Spirit wills. Now let me ask you this. If that is true, does that mean He hands you a gift and that is your gift to run with and use all the time? And that's just how it works. The answer to that is maybe. Is it possible that you could operate in any one of these gifts as the Spirit enables you depending on the circumstance you may be in? And the answer is maybe. Right? You can't say yes or no definitively to either one. You know why? Because Paul didn't. And that's where we have to stay. We can't make these more than what they are, and we can't make them less than what they are. And what I'm going to tell you as I go into each one of these individually is he also did not define specifically what they are and how they operate. So what we are going to do is we're going to piece these things together to come to a conclusion, to see these things in operation. So let's start with this one, the word of wisdom. It is not the gift of wisdom. It is a word of wisdom. This has nothing to do with how smart you are, although it helps. But truth be told is that any gift will take a weakness in an individual physically and expound upon it. So if you have somebody who's not super smart and suddenly you see them expanding or expounding upon something amazingly deep in God, it gets your attention, right? Signs, wonders, miracles, same concept. Look at Acts chapter 2. What did they say when they heard them speaking in tongues? Like, we hear them speaking the wonderful things of God in our own language. But aren't they Galileans? A bunch of idiots. They're untrained. They were not taught all these different languages, so it got their attention. Now, I'm, these fall in the revelatory gift because it's not necessarily a vocal gift. Okay? This is why we put these here. The word here, the word for word, is logos. Now, logos, when we break it down really, really general, we look at logos as a written word and rhema as a spoken word. That's how most of the time you're going to see that defined. I don't like that definition, and the reason I don't like that definition is because it's too boxy and it doesn't fit scripturally. Do you know why? Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And every time that word is said, it is logos, and it's referring to Jesus. And Jesus was never words on a page. So it can't be that simple. It has to be deeper than that. When you begin to look at it, it can be defined as a concept, an idea, a saying, a subject matter, a reason, a narrative, some sort of a doctrine. The idea of an utterance being spoken comes from the Greek word rhema. And if that is what he meant, like every single time, is something we speak out, he would have used that word, rhema, more than likely. But it often works together, and, and again, there's a lot of overlap here, works together with prophecy and some of these other things. It can function as a vocal gift, but it doesn't have to. Why am I telling you this? It's because there are times 
where the Lord will drop something in your mind, in your heart, however you want to define it, that you'll know how to respond in a situation or how to do something. Have you ever been in a scenario where you literally have no idea what to do next? And you're praying like, God, I need your help. I'm out of ideas. And a short time later, something comes to you, and you're like, I wonder if that will work. Let me give you an example of this, all right? So I, uh, as you guys know, I have a snow plow for my truck. I like plowing snow. I enjoy it. It's fun. And um, I, my truck was being fixed, so I had a loaner truck. And it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and it had been snow, and I went out to start this truck, and it won't start. It's a diesel. The glow plugs aren't lighting. Now, if you know me well, you know that I'm about as mechanical as nothing. I don't know nothing about nothing. I put fuel in. That's where my knowledge ceases. This truck won't start. It's 3 a.m. It's dark. It's also cold. I'm not happy about it. And so I'm like, oh, not, not now. I mean, remember, my, the engine in my truck had blown up. This was a loner. I'm like, Lord, what do I do? And I'm sitting there in the truck, and I have this idea, like, get out and jiggle the battery wire cable. I mean, I don't know what else to do. I mean, I'm not mechanical, you know, there's, there's no help. So I get out, and I, I move this stuff around, and I get back in the truck, and I turn the key. And if you know how a diesel start, you turn it, you let the glow plugs heat up, there's a little light on. That light came on, and the truck started. Now, why did that work? I don't have any idea to this day. I, have, I tried looking it up, what made that work, just in case I was in that situation again. But again, I know nothing, and here it is, this idea, get out, mess with these wires. Why did that, is that a word of wisdom? Perhaps. But there are examples in Scripture where we see the idea of wisdom being used. Now, let's look at a guy named Stephen in Acts chapter 6. Stephen gives up. He's being accused by the Sanhedrin. He gets up and he lays it out there. It's an incredible history of the Jewish people and how screwed up they were. How they've always rejected the prophets, always rejected the word of God, rejected everything. And here they once again rejected their Messiah. But in Acts chapter 6 verse 10, it says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Now what does that mean? What does it mean that they can't reject the wisdom, or resist the wisdom and the Spirit? Was Stephen a super well-trained man, a great orator or anything like that? We don't know. But if he was like the rest of them, the answer is probably not. Because most of them were not super well-educated. Education was for the wealthy. These guys, for the most part, weren't. So, likely, there was something about how he spoke and the Spirit, and you notice that it's capitalized, which is always a sign, right? That's a joke. It's not necessarily a sign of anything. But there was something going on there. He was delivering a message out of his spirit. Something was being spoken there. Here's another one, Acts chapter 15. As you know, in the early church... There was a lot of confusion. They were trying to figure this thing out. How do we know that? Well, we watched Peter absolutely shocked that the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles. He was shocked. He was not expecting that. Then you watch the people he's telling that story to were absolutely shocked that the Spirit had fallen on the Gentiles. They were not anticipating that. So, obviously, they are moving and going as they see fit. Then it came down to this argument. Now, what do we do with these Gentiles? Because prior to this moment... That in order for them to become in fellowship with God or in covenant with God, what do they have to do? They had to reject their heritage so they were no longer Philistines or Samarians or whatever they were. They would come in, they would become circumcised, they would follow all the commandments, and they would basically become a Jew. But now there's a debate going on. 
Because the requirements to become a born-again believer do not necessitate that. So do we make them do all this stuff? Do we not make them? Do they got to keep the commandments, the law, the dietary law? Do we make them do this stuff? They don't know. And so there's a debate going on in the Jerusalem church. James is in charge of this. We see this whole thing play out in Acts chapter 15. But look at what they say. Because they come to a conclusion and they write a letter to all these Gentile churches that are, that are popping up everywhere to tell them what they decided. Since we have, verse 24, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, uh, men who have risked their lives in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by, the, uh, uh, by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well, farewell. Verse 28 is kind of interesting. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Now, I'm sitting here like, I don't care if it seemed good to you or not. If it seems good to him, that's all we need. But it's interesting how they said that. There's two parts of this. One, they knew what seemed good to the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. The other part is, and it doesn't tell us, how did they know that? How did they come to that conclusion? Was it by proxy, by vote? All right, everybody raise your hand. Who thinks this is a good idea? Okay, well, that must be what God wants. That's not how that works. Somehow, the Holy Spirit got the message to them of these things that he said, let's just do these. You guys see that? It never tells us how he got that message across, right? So let's not make a bunch of assumptions. So the Holy Spirit conveyed to the apostles some words of wisdom on how to handle the situation, how to handle these things, what's going on. Okay? 1 Corinthians 2 verse 13 says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Again, so these aren't words being taught by, uh, by man, they're being words taught by the Holy Spirit. Well, how is he teaching those? We never drill down and begin to look. How is he getting that message to the individual? Obviously, it's going through a person or a group of people, but how is he doing it? Is it possible that men led by the Spirit of God are hearing either audibly or inaudibly through what, what is called in the Old Testament a still small voice, hearing something from God knowing how to proceed. Because you know what they didn't have? They did not have the New Testament to look at. We do. But they didn't. So they're figuring this out as they go. Now, the one thing I will tell you that they did have was what we call the Old Testament is what they called the Scriptures. And nothing broke those. So whatever this is, this wisdom idea, it's giving you an, an idea of how do we handle the situation, perhaps, using wisdom. Let's look at the next part, word of knowledge. There's a lot that's going on here, but possibly in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4, we see these gifts really come into the Corinthian church. It says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you are enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Now, enriched by Christ in all knowledge. Is this some idea that he is conveying as a word of knowledge? We know specifically that later on he addresses all of these gifts. And throughout the book he addressed these gifts. The letter that he wrote here. 
It gives insight to the church for an application, a practical application of how to do something. It may be a scriptural truth, a revelation of something. Have you ever read something in scripture and for the first time you're like, you have this aha moment. It's like, oh, I get that now. I never understood that before. Perhaps it's that. But perhaps there are other things here. Let's look at Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Why filled with all knowledge? What is he talking about here? Is it possible that this idea of knowledge is not book learning per se, but a, a downloading of something from God? So what is the distinguishing markers between a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge, according to Scripture. I'll wait, because I don't know either. Because it doesn't say, does it? He does not define them in terms. He just simply says, there's word of wisdom, there's word of knowledge. Both are important. Now, we will go into a little bit here and begin to look at these different things in, in practice, but the bottom line is this, is that if somebody says that this is a word of wisdom and this is a word of knowledge, they are speaking from their own mind. Because it does not clearly define them, does it? Now, let's look at the last one, the discerning of spirits. Now, this one often gets misunderstood. Because discerning of spirits does not mean that you discern every time somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing. In other words, you walk around with your Bible and start thumping people on the heads. That's not the concept here. There's a difference between having discernment and being a jerk. Some are good at both, all right? But discerning of spirits comes from this Greek word. I'm going to attempt to pronounce this, all right? Diachrisis pneumaton. And if you don't know, that's exactly how it's pronounced, okay? But it means to discern, discriminate, or distinguish. To discern, discriminate, or distinguish. Now, those are important because discernment is crucial, especially with what's going on in our world today. You do not have discernment, you will get sucked into every little detail that's going on out there. You have to be able to discern between what is, what's happening that's good, what's happening that's bad. How do I know that? Hebrews 5 tells us that, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good good and evil there's a discernment that's going on so the, so the discerning of spirits when we begin to drill down on this is, is, is looking at this something what is the spirit in, behind something being said something being done is it good of God is it bad of the devil or is it just somebody acting out you have to discern through that you no different than if you turn on the news tonight you have to discern between truth and falsehoods did you know that fake news isn't new there are writings from the founding fathers of the country that have uh, uh, in, in their books talking about what to do with false news is how they said it they weren't quite as eloquent as trump was apparently but how do you discern between that i mean we've just gone through some weird stuff in this country stuff we've never faced before this whole pandemic and there had to be some discernment going on of what was happening and how do you respond? And some people were responding in fear, and some people were responding in faith, and some people weren't responding at all. I'm just going to stay home until this thing blows over. So what do we do? 
In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, it says, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So what's he talking about here? We're talking about how what we call communion. They called it the Lord's Supper. It was part of the Passover meal, the Seder meal, the third cup and the bread and the, and the wine. But there was a judgment upon these people who were not discerning what was happening here. So this discernment is crucial to understanding it. So in a nutshell, the discernment of spirits is defining what is going on. Is it a, of malicious intent, of maybe a neutral intent, somebody's flesh, or is it of God? Something that we should be operating in constantly. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. That word judge there is the same word in Greek as discern. This is talking about operating the gifts. Why do we need to judge the prophecies of people uh, that are given by people? To discern whether they are accurate, whether they are true or not. That's why Paul talks about in Acts 17 that the Bereans were more noble than anybody else because they would take in whatever he had to say and then they would search the scriptures daily to see if those things which were said are true. How many of you guys go home and fact check me every week? Thank you. Because most of the time, you just stand up and you're like, hey, I can say whatever I want and they're going to believe it because it comes from a position of authority. In fact, I did that Wednesday night if you were here. I went into this whole diatribe on how the gap theory and all this other stuff, and I went in, and I tried my best to pitch it as a real thing. And a few people believed it. Right, Adam? <laughs> He's like, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, it's a lie. Don't believe it. <laughs> Why? Because from a position of authority, if you sound like you know what you're talking about, people are like, well, he must know what he's talking about. Right? Here's what I learned years ago. I, when I was a freshman in high school, I was a drummer, and I was a pretty good drummer. I was, I was an up-and-comer, so to speak. But one of the, the, uh, the seniors that were that year, he said, listen, here's what I've learned as a drummer, that if you play loud enough and fast enough, people think you know what you're doing, whether you do or not. I took that to heart. I played both loud and fast. The other thing I learned as a salesman, and I probably could have been a politician, that is if you talk in circles, but you're confident about it, people will buy. I cannot tell you how many situations I was in when I used to sell insurance and stuff like that where people are asking questions. I had no idea what I was talking about, but I sure sounded good saying it. And they bought it. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you what I did. I'm not, I am a little proud of that, actually, now that I think about that. You know, that's how all insurance guys are. <laughs> that's how most insurance guys are. But the bottom line is, is that you have to discern what's being said. You have to discern what's, what's going on. So I want to show you in Scripture these things in operation. But what you will see is that there is no distinguishing marks between these individually. Okay? So let's start with Acts chapter 2. Verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see vision, old men will see uh, dream dreams. On my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vaporous smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a prophecy by Joel. Peter is saying this. He's saying, in this moment, this is what's happening right now. And he's defining, this is the last days. This was 2,000 years ago. We're closer today. But the bottom line that he's getting a point here, or across here, is that, listen, 
People will prophesy, they will dream dreams, they will see visions. There's an expectation of a moving of the Holy Spirit upon individuals of these things will happen. What he doesn't go into here is the ability to discern between what is true and what is not. Because we'll see from his writings later is that there are false prophets and good prophets. There are false teachers, there are good teachers, and whose responsibility is it to discern between all of that? It is yours and mine. We have to discern. We have to know. So let's begin to look at these individual gifts in play with the lives of Jesus and the lives of the apostles. This is not an all-encompassing list, but we're going to go through these fairly quickly so you can see them. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. It says, So he got into a boat, and he crossed over and came to his own city. And then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying in a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. He knew their thoughts. How did he know? Now you can say, well, I mean, it's Jesus. He knows everything. Well, we know that's not true because it talks how he grew in wisdom, stature, and then we know how the Holy Spirit came upon him. And we know that he did no miracles prior to that event. So there was something tied into that. So he knew their thoughts. Is that a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, or discerning of spirits? Yeah, great question. I don't know either. But what we do know is there was something supernatural that he knew and he knew how to respond to the individuals. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind, and mute, and he healed him. So that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw, and all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Remember, that's the Messiah. Could this be him? And when the Pharisees heard it, they said, The fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city whose house is divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demon by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. There's two parts going on here. I try to catch the whole context while I read so far past this. Number one, so they brought somebody who was demon-possessed. How did he know? Did he come with a letter said, hi, I'm demon-possessed. This is signed by a physician. Can you take care of this for me? There was a sign to him and there was a discernment that was going on that what was happening in that man, because it, all it says is that he was uh, blind and mute. Are those signs of demon-possession? Apparently, could they be signs of, you're just messed up? Possibly, right? But he was able to discern what was going on in the background. So you see that, number one. It got their attention. We've talked about this before. Is it, could this be the son of David? Why? Because one of the signs of one of the four messianic miracles was the ability to cast out demons without getting their name. If they can't speak, they can't give their name. That's how Jewish exorcists did it. At that point, they'd have to get the name. Okay, so there was something going on there. But again, Jesus knew their thoughts and responded likewise. So something was downloaded and he knew what was going on. There was a discernment going on of what was happening. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 6. It says, Now it happened on another Sabbath, 
also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts, and said to the man who had a withered hand, Arise and stand there. And he arose and stood, and then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored as a whole uh, as the other. But they were all filled with rage and disgust with one another that they might do, uh, what they might do to Jesus. Again, he knew their thoughts. We see this over and over again. He knew their thoughts. How does he know that? What I'm telling you is there's something supernatural taking place here. Whether it's a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, something is downloading into him that he knows the intent of the individual. We're watching this take place. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 46. Then a dispute arose among them as which of them would be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he is the least among you. All will be great. Again, what do we see? Perceiving the thought of their hearts. There's a lot that's going on here. We could go on and on and on and on with this. But I think you get the idea. There's something being downloaded. Now let's look at this. John chapter 1, verse 43. The following day Jesus went to Galilee, or wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida in the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael. He said, and we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he's saying, we found the Messiah. This is the guy. We have found him. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. There's two parts here. Okay? The first thing is, is he sees Nathanael, whom he does not know. And what's he say to him? An Israelite in whom is no deceit. He's claiming something about him. He knows him. And then he claims to have seen him under the fig tree. Now, what fig tree? There are fig trees everywhere. But there was something about it. You see, Jesus knew there was something about Nathaniel that he had seen. Look at John chapter 4. We're going to read for a little bit here in, in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew the Pharisees, that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. So was Jesus baptizing people? Yeah, he was. Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize his disciples. So you've got to repass that. His disciples were baptizing. What does that mean? In a Jewish mindset, they were now following Jesus. This is what's going on. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, and he said he needed to go through Samaria. And he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by, it well, uh, by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Now what's going on in Samaria? Remember, these are the half-Jews. You had a sect of, of, of half-Jewish people. They were not the people of God. They did not like one another. They would not even walk through there. That's how much they avoided it. There was this plot of land where the well of Jacob was. They had two different places of worship. The Sumerians worshiped God up there, but they hated the temple. They wanted nothing to do with the temple. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall, uh, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the, wa- uh, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And she said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. He said, You have said, Well, you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, and our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews stay that it, say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Your worship that you, uh, you worship what you do not know, We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am He. So what is happening here? It's interesting stuff. Number one, what does He do? He's speaking to this woman. You don't do that. A Jewish man, especially a rabbi, did not speak to a woman by himself. Second part, she's a Sumerian woman, so you don't talk to her at all. But the interesting part here and, and, is when Jesus said, go get your husband. She says, well, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. You've had five. Now this, when they say husband, are they literally married? I don't know. But it's interesting that how did Jesus know that? There was something given to him that showed him this. We know that with her, there was something interesting going on because women never went to the well alone. They always came in groups. There was a time that they would come to draw, and they would draw multiple times a day. The fact that she was there by herself means that the women of Samaria knew all about her past and likely wanted nothing to do with her. So, again, you see Jesus knowing something about an individual and through knowing that is able to minister to her. So you guys see how the discernment and the words of wisdom and the words of knowledge are being applied in these moments. But what about the disciples? Let's look at Acts chapter 5. Verse 1, it says, A certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now, how did he know that? How on earth did he know what Ananias had done? Something told him. Did somebody tattle on Ananias? Did he go to the courthouse and look at the title or the the HUD statement? I mean, what did he do? He said, this land was yours and you were in control the whole time. Nobody said you had to give this, but you have lied. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? So he's discerning the spirit behind it. He's also discerning the event taking place. And there is a result of that. Okay, verse 7, now it was three hours later when his wife came, not knowing what had happened. Peter answered her, tell me, whether you sold the land for so much? She said, yes. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? 
Look at the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who had heard these things. Now, again, we see this event. He says, hey, is this what you sold it for? Oh, yeah, 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 that's what we sold it for. She has no idea what had taken place with her husband. But how did Peter know what was about to happen to her? The only thing we can assume is there's a word of wisdom, word of knowledge that's going on here. Some people try to tell you, well, Peter declared that, and that's why that happened. That is not what is going on here. He knew something was going on. Let's look at a couple more. We're about done. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road that, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charged over all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he, he was reading the Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. Now, how did the spirit speak to him? We don't know. Was this audible? Was it inaudible? We don't know, but we know that Philip got the message, whatever it was. Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come and sit with him. This, uh, the place in Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before a shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation from his, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. And now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized. And now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, there's a lot that happened just here very short blurb. Philip is not a major character in the book of Acts. But number one, the Spirit of God told him and said, go talk to that guy. Does he know what he's talking to him about? Not according to what we just read. So he sees him reading the scripture, he's confused. How can I understand this unless somebody explains it to me? So why was Philip sent there? To explain it to him. Okay, so we see some sort of guidance, a word of wisdom, knowledge being put into place, but it's a little murky for the guy who's on the receiving end of it, so he's just being obedient and he's going. Go talk to him. So he does. Then you get this really weird part, okay? He baptizes the guy, and when he pulls him out of the water, he's gone. Beam me up, Scotty. He's gone. Where did he go? A place that's not close to there. So that tells me one of a couple things. One... They call this translating. Somebody is translated from one spot to another. Is that possible? Yes. Because somebody claims it has happened to them, does that make it true? No. Okay? But it's at least possible. A couple more. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. So there's a vision being given. What's, what's going to happen here? He said, hey, I want you to go talk to Paul. He said, here I am, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now, there's two parts that are going on here, all right? He's having a vision. The Lord is getting his attention. 
I want you to go to a specific place, a street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for a guy named Saul. Very specific. When you get there, Saul will be praying because in a vision that he had, he's seen a man named Ananias and he's going to put his hand on him that he will receive his sight. So you have two different things that are taking place coming together, but very, very specific. And we know how the rest of that plays out. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, I don't know. But what we do know is this is exactly what Acts 2 said would happen. Okay? Acts chapter 10, verse 17. Peter has this vision of the unclean animals. He's not sure what it means. It's like, where did this happen? Look what verse 17 says. While Peter wondered within himself what this vision meant, uh, which he had seen and meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry to Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So the Spirit of the Lord telling him, listen, go. Did he know what he was going for? No, because when he shows up in his house, he's like, listen, I'm here. The Holy Spirit told me to come. I'm here. Why am I here? Acts 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there was a certain prophet and teacher, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Again, getting direction from the Lord. What to do next? Specific. Separate these guys, send them out. Look at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, who sent them? The Holy Spirit did. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they uh, sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now, this is where it gets interesting. When they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, I will explain what a false prophet is, not today, but here in the next couple of weeks. Who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man uh, called for Barnabas and Saul, who sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, uh, the sorcerer, who for his name is translated, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw that uh, which had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What is going on here? There is a false prophet out there claiming to be of God. Paul discerns that and proclaims a judgment upon him as a result of that. How did Paul know what was going to happen there? Something in him told him this. But there's discernment going on. He knows what's taking place. He, he says it. So all of these things are coming to uh, fruition. These signs will follow him who believes. There are things that are taking place. Acts 14, verse 8. And Elistra, a certain man without strength in his feet, was sitting at a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. How do you see somebody's faith? What did he see in him? There is something going on that clues Paul in to what's taking place here. Let's look at one more. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. And when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Whoa. Do not preach the gospel here 
Paul. Is that what the Holy Spirit said? Absolutely. So does that mean that can happen today? Absolutely. There are times, thus saith the Lord, you need to keep your mouth shut. Verse 7, and after that they came to Myasia and they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Myasia, they came down to Troas, and a, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. How did they conclude that? They had a vision. God is getting information to them. There was two parts to that. Don't go here. Do go here. Right? So the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding through these words of wisdom, words of knowledge, how to act. Let me show you one more, Acts 16, verse 16. Remember how I said we got one more? I lied. Here we go. Last one, I promise. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Is anybody else confused by this? Because what she was saying was true if you have somebody show up in here and saying you guys preach the gospel of peace the gospel of truth how one comes to the lord what would most people assume amen not paul you have to know the region because the god of the region was zeus so the word god there doesn't necessarily mean god but the truth is is Paul discerned it. And what happened? He was greatly annoyed. So guess what? Apparently that's okay. It's okay to be annoyed. We should be annoyed by the spirit behind what's taking place. Do you guys see these things happening in Scripture? Do you see it clearly defined what they are? No, you don't. We see the Spirit of God getting information into an individual on how to respond, how to act, or the Spirit behind something. Right? That is, in a nutshell, these first groupings of gifts. I know it's clear as mud. But the truth is, is that all we have to do is be obedient. As you act out in these, you will begin to easily discern what's going on. I will begin to share stories as we go through these, not today, but, but in the weeks to come, of things that have happened in my life, of discernment that I have had in different scenarios. It is one of the giftings that I have. I can usually quickly read through the good from the bad, the nonsense. I, do you realize that I have had people come into this building who were claiming to have been sent by God or claiming to have a message from God or something like that, that I quickly discerned that was not the case? We have to be like that. Because otherwise they're proclaiming these preach the gospel. How do we become saved? We'll fall into those traps. I'll show you guys some stories next week. But I'm telling you, we're going to go through these in depth. The other thing I'm going to tell you is you may have operated in these and not even necessarily realized it. Because it's as the Spirit wills, you'll begin to see all of that. This will get more clear as we go, I promise.